Today's episode of the Fast Brackets podcast is brought to you by Winlight Bets. Winlight Bets is the fastest gaming action on earth using the fastest motorsport on earth. Go to the Winlight Bets Facebook page, like and follow to be up to date on all the latest information around gaming and your favorite sport, drag racing. Welcome to the Fast Brackets Podcast, where we highlight the cars and stars of top sportsmen and top dragster drag racing. I am your co-host, Rex Simmermaker, coming to you from the heart of Indianapolis, the racing capital of the world. And I'm J.P. Miller coming to you from rural Virginia. Guys and girls, welcome to the show. Today's episode is 125. J.P., uh, episode number 125 and uh the world is chaotic i mean the chaotic and our last um our well frankly the last episode people had a lot to say uh, a lot to say we've got um some we had some comments uh first of all our our guy dan ferguson um, we all know Dan runs Top Sportsman, uh, PDRA, Elite PDRA. My man had a lot to say about Van Hagar, and none of it was good, JP. You mentioned it last time. Uh, Dan, not a fan. I, I can't read everything he uh, said, uh, but I, what I will tell you is it wasn't good. Uh, mostly, I think it's fair to say he's a pro Van Roth guy. Um, and, uh, which was, you know, it's fine. I mean, everybody has their opinions. I think he's with you on that. Yeah. Uh, Dan and I are going to be on agreement on a couple of things that, uh, bullhorns <laughs> and how top sportsman is one of the best classes in drag racing. So we, <laughs> those three areas we are always going to agree on. Cause I don't care nothing about Sammy Hagar. Yeah, well, I will tell you, man, I will tell you, I did get, I did get a message and, you know, listen, messages are always welcome. Um, but I did get a message um, and it was very pro Van Hagar and it was, and I was shot and, but they asked me not to tell, not to say who it was, which is fascinating to me, which I'll, I'll respect. Yeah. I will say, okay, you know I will, why? Because it was very wrong for them to have that opinion. It, listen, <laughs> nobody in their right mind. Opinion. Nobody in their right mind takes Hagar over Roth. Man, they just don't. This man would sing and then do a thirty-minute martial arts demonstration on stage for you. <laughs> How can you beat that? There is that's that's fair. <laughs> that is that is uh, brutal but fair. Yeah. So uh, you know, sir, uh, I will. <laughs> protect your anonymity appreciate the message uh but you know van hagar love it but uh not as good as van roth let's let's be honest uh, but we needed a little bit of that jp we needed a little bit of that 
uh, brevity because there is absolute chaos going in the world right now. Um, on top of, you know, uh, peace in the Middle East being uh, gone again for the millionth time. Uh, you know what other thing happened that just blew my mind this past week, JP? This happened um, out in Philadelphia. A guy, his name is Joey Henney. He took his emotional support alligator to a Philadelphia Phillies game. You heard that right. His emotional support alligator. Not a dog, not a not a cat, not a uh, you know, gerbil. He took an emotional support alligator to the Philadelphia Phillies game, which they promptly said, No, sir, you are not allowed to bring that dinosaur in this arena. I got so many questions. <laughs> uh, like Right. Um how this... does one acquire an emotional support alligator and how and and why is he in like he was trying to go to a LSU game or like a Florida game? I would have been like, okay, but in Phil in Philadelphia? Well, there's a there is a lot of questions. There's there's no doubt about that. First of all, we've been to Bradenton. We have seen ponds full of boots and belts. Like we could have just dove in and, and you know, uh, picked us up some new boot leather. But he this man this man lives in Pennsylvania. So he may show up at Maple Grove at some point. And I say to the Koretsky family, let him in. Like let him in. Let this dude with the gator roll around the track. It's fine. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I <laughs> I guess if that's what you what you want to do, but they're not I that I fast. I don't know how much they're not that fast. I don't think so. I I think I think people can get away. Like I don't want to be sitting next to one, but if I you know if I could if I knew and I could walk, I think I'd be all right with it. Yeah, I I'd like to have a pair of emotional support gator boots or something, but I don't I don't want the the whole gator yeah this this dude joey henny and i i'm just gonna say like maple grove staff needs to be on the lookout for this dude but he says and, and i quote that his gator and they he calls him wally his gator wally likes to give hugs jp would you hug an alligator i would not hug an alligator um because i just don't feel like that's the right thing to do because it's craziness because it's <laughs> yeah. absolute craziness oh okay all right gotcha um well guys girls there is a lot of chaos in the world today and man uh the van hagar uh van roth uh you know argument rages on as well as is there even a place in this universe for an emotional sport alligator? I don't know. I, I'm going to say no. Um, I just, I don't know that a, a gator thinks on the level of thinking of uh, like what they eat, the difference between me and what they eat. So I don't. <laughs> I am very confident that a piece of chicken in your hand looks the exact same thing to them. Yeah. Yeah, well, so there it is. Um, you know, it's, there's, a, there's a lot of mess out there in the world. But what there also is, is there is drag racing to clean it up, to gain some sanity. And uh, we're going to talk about it this episode. Uh, we've got 
a great guest on. Like he is a very impressive guy. He's um, standout in the top sportsman world. Mike Moorhead is on with us. He's fantastic. Um, and and then we've got a lot of other stuff to cover up. We've got uh, points races to cover. We've got some uh, drama in the world. We've got uh, a little more um, a little more things to cover because some interesting stuff this week. But uh, what I would say is buckle in, get to doing whatever it is that you do while you listen to the show, make your commute, clean the shop, work on that old heap. But metaphorically speaking, get your helmet on, get strapped in, because here we go. All right, let's make a pass. Let's get them hot. Let's put this thing in the water box. Um, moving kind of along the alligator path. I mean, there was, and I think there still is, white alligator racing on the motorcycle world, JP. Um, so... We're going to talk a little bit of motorcycle action here. First of all, Angie Smith had a horrible, horrible crash. Um, broke a couple bones, I think, um, ankles, I think, when she was rolling off the off the bike. Um, it looked absolutely awful. It appears now with, um, yeah, we've had a, several days to, you know, uh, watch her recover, that she will make a full recovery. And we certainly wish that for her uh, because mm. it was brutal and, Man, the motorcycle stuff is scary because you just do not have a cage around you, right? Um, and I'm pro motorcycle, but it, it is scary stuff that way. That said, the the accident caused a little bit of controversy after the fact. Yeah, um, it seemed like the I guess the NHRA wanted to take a look at the bike and then uh, they're holding on to the bike or, you know, and like, I guess they left Matt Smith racing wondering when he's going to get his, his motorcycle back so he can kind of assess the damage and, and, you know, see what, what he needs to do for his next move. So, uh, interesting development there. I hadn't heard anything on it today. Uh, the last I heard is he hadn't got his bike back yet, but I don't know if that's the case. He may have gotten it back now, but, I'm not 100% sure. Kind of weird for them to hold it that length of time, but I guess they'll have to get all of that figured out. Yeah, that's the controversy, right? Like, we all know that when we sign up, we we enter the race, we sign a waiver that says the association, and I, I believe this would be the same for PDRA and Midwest and, you know, every, all the associations. They have a right to inspect the vehicle, hold it if need be. Um, unfortunately, I've been in a situation where, you know, uh, the car was wrecked and, you know, there was some inspection post post accident. And the, and the association always reserves that right. Um, that said, I don't think we've seen to this level of vehicle confiscated for the duration that the NHRA to this point has confiscated Angie Smith's vehicle. And uh, for the life of me, I'm not sure. I understand what it is they're even looking at. Have you heard? I mean, because as of this recording, we have not heard that NHRA has given Matt Smith Racing the bike back, and it's been over a week at this point. So I think that's kind of fascinating. Yeah. Um, I mean, I understand if they want to inspect it post-race or whatever, and if it was to take maybe a day, but it, I would have to agree. If I'm Matt Smith, you're not going to keep on holding my property. I mean, I 
I could only imagine the cost involved with a pro stock motorcycle. I'm sure it's pretty substantial and I would definitely want my motorcycle back at my shop. Um, I can't think of what they could possibly need that they need that man's motorcycle for that length of time. I, I cannot. Well, on top of that, right. It's his wife's motorcycle. So, well, yeah, his wife's I mean, motorcycle. add that to the mix too. I mean, you know, he, he had to watch his wife take a tumble and, I will say this, uh, you know, I've recently uh, picked up picked up a motorcycle. I mean, I picked up a motorcycle ride a little bit. My girlfriend likes to ride with me, and it is a little nerve wracking to watch her, you know, ride a little bit. Not just because uh, I want her safe and I want her to do well. It'd be hard, you know, uh, as a husband, as a team owner, to watch your wife wreck. That would be. That'd be catastrophic, right? I mean, every parent can, you know, or spouse can go through that thought process. That's that's straightforward. What I don't think is, um, you know, I I don't think they've had, you know, a performance advantage over the year that has made sense. Um, you know, I I don't know. Like it's it's just an interesting development, and I'm I'm waiting to find out what exactly they were looking for, uh, if they found anything. And then what changes to the rules? Because um, it does look like just the part broke. I mean, that's what it looks like. It looks like a fork broke, and that you know, you, you can't can't have part breakage at 200 miles an hour on a motorcycle and think everything's yeah. going to be fine. That's that's what's going to happen. But um, you know, the the aftermath of what they find, what maybe rule changes they make, etc., are going to be interesting to see how it all mm. shakes down. Or they, they haven't released, NHRA hasn't released any statement or anything at this point, have they, from what I saw? No, at the time of this recording, no. And they, they may this week, but uh, they haven't said, hey, this is what we're looking for. This is nothing. They just took the bike and then Matt, uh, rightfully so, I think in this scenario, had some you know things to say about that, saying, hey, give me my stuff back. And then also, you know, hey, wh- why are you keeping that? So... In either event, we will keep you posted on the Angie Smith, uh, Matt Smith racing uh, saga with, with in terms of what the NHRA finds, what they do when they give the motorcycle back. And in the meantime, we wish Angie, Angie Smith well in uh, fast recovery. All right, let's put this thing in the beams. JP, on with us now from Bryant, Arkansas. He is currently your number two points earner in top sportsman in NHRA on the national level. He has recently doubled up winning uh, the Division Four Divisionals at Tulsa, won them back-to-back that weekend, and has a long-time standout in the bracket racing world. Please welcome to the show, Mike Moorhead. Mike, how are you today? Doing great. How about y'all? Well, we're doing good, uh, but we're not nearly as good as you because we do not have two Wallies uh, newly in our uh, trailer. So that is uh, that is something to be incredibly proud of. It was pretty pretty amazing. Um, you've been doing this a long, long time, Mike. Um, Maybe take us back and talk about, you know, how you got into the sport. How did how did you get into drag racing originally? Um, my dad got me into it when I was 
16 years old. Um, and it just never got out of the blood. I mean, we've slowed times, but never completely just quit. Um, uh, we've bracket raced, uh, did a little bit of super class racing. Uh, the kids, my kids, I brought them up and brought them into juniors and then into the big cars. So it's, it's something that we've done as a family for many, many years. Do you, do you remember the first pass you made and, uh, what car you were in? Yeah, it was actually my daily driver. Uh, when 16, uh, we actually went to a drag race at a local track here in Arkansas. And before the end of the next week, we owned a drag car (laughs) and my dad drove it for a little bit. And then a friend of ours drove it. And while all that was going on, I started racing my car while we were down there. So, and then I stepped into the, to the race car. And, uh, at some point or another, I've been doing this ever since. So what was your car, and then what was that first race car that you got? So my first car that I was racing that was my daily driver was a 78 Z28 uh, four-speed car. And then uh, the first race, uh, 68 Camaro, uh, full-frame car, uh, big block Chevrolet, probably run back in the eighties, it'd probably run nine fifty, something like that. So it was pretty fast for a back in the day. Absolutely. By today's standard, it's not (laughs) back in the day. It was, that was fast though. That was really fast. Yep. Um, but now you've been running top sportsman for a little while now. Tell us about the transition that you made from, you know, bracket racing, which you, you've done for a while, you know, um, for a long time. And then at some point you decided, Hey, let's, let's step the, the whole, you know, program up a little bit and, um, get into a new, a new top sportsman car. Tell us about that process. Well, I was having a new car built, um, at East Texas race cars was building a new cobalt and, it was a super stock style car, but I was just going to bracket race it. And my traveling partner, Dane Ward, he, uh, he said he was going top dragster racing. I said, well, I'll go run super gas or something with this car and I will just travel with you. So we started doing that. Had zero success with the, with that car as a super gas car. They're more designed to be a super stock car, and we just we was not successful at all with it. And I told my wife, I said, "Well, we're either going to uh, make this a full blown super stock car and go racing, or we'll get a top sportsman car." And she she was in agreement that we both would we think we would like the top sportsman car better. So that's when I met the Freemans at Elite Motorsports. And I bought Royce Freeman's uh, top car and made a deal with them. And they, they took my car in on trade. And so we we went racing and we made a deal with them that they would help us through the first weekend because I had no idea what I was doing with a, a car like that. 
and so we went to Topeka and we tested and got my license on Wednesday and it was a double divisional and uh, I made a couple of rounds the first race and then I won the second race my first weekend with it and then uh, Mike we hear this we hear this all the time the racing gods they reach down and they pluck certain people the first or second weekend they do it and they just pluck them and they go boom you're addicted now the racing gods got another one i mean we hear this all the time the regular listeners of the show are probably just howling right now because they hear this time and time again you win early and you're addicted for life it's uh really a fascinating thing yeah it was uh we we got introduced to a lot of different things that weekend um it was 2020, so COVID was going on. So the elite team had all of the comp cars, actually the pro stock cars, comp setups in them. And Richard was racing, Royce was racing. Uh, and then we met a whole different group of people than what we'd been hanging out with. And it was uh, a very exciting weekend to, to win the first time out with it. And, um, you know, it's, it's been, we've been chasing it ever since and some good, some bad. I mean, <laughs> last year was a bad year. We, we sold that car and we bought a, another car from elite and we struggled with it all last year, but it's worked out now and we're, we're doing good with it. We've been in four finals this year, a couple of semis. So we've, we've went rounds just about everywhere we went and, um, and it's, it's, Added up to where we're at today. Well, a couple things to to pull on out of that, what you last said. First of all, is it fair to say that the Freeman and the Moorhead families have uh, made a good connection? We have. <laughs> uh, matter of fact, <laughs> Chase and my daughter are getting married uh, at, that, at the the Monday after Vegas race. Um, so we're all going to Vegas and race, and then they're going to get married on Monday. So we're all going to be intertwined one way or another. And uh, they've uh, they've helped me tremendously. Um, probably wouldn't wouldn't have the uh, the the car and the and the know how without them guys. I mean, they everybody on the team has just been great to me. Yeah, that's that's pretty awesome stuff, and the fact that. You know they're getting married on a Monday. Um, you know is is pretty cool. I mean that that kind of uh, I mean that that's just really cool stuff because that shows they like we're gonna race and then you know and then you know the marriage is great but we're racing on the weekend right? That's right. <laughs> uh, that's well. Good stuff. My daughter, you know, she runs Super Comp, but we we weren't able to get her into to Vegas because of. Uh, only a grade seven on the uh grade points and so we're not taking her car but she'll be you know that's kind of the unique thing that my wife and daughter are at most races is all the help that i have so you know it's just me and and two women doing this and you know running a pretty fast car i mean we're running 650s uh 
and you know we're pulling the, pulling the valve covers, checking valves and springs, and cooling it, and getting everything back ready for the next round. You know, with with just us, and we can usually turn it in about fifteen to twenty minutes. So we we do pretty good together. Everybody's got their job, and they know what to do. That's really uh, pretty cool stuff. I mean, you mentioned, uh, you know, racing with your wife and daughter. That's, uh, you know, that is, uh, that's got to be, you know, really good uh, feeling for you when you go to the track. And then when you succeed, when you have a weekend like you had in Tulsa, I mean, that, that's just got to be the icing on the cake, right? When you, when you win every round you stage up for that whole weekend and, uh, and to do it kind of a, you know, family family deal that's uh that's that's got to be pretty satisfying from that standpoint it is i mean it's one of them deals that when you come back and you see how proud they are of you it uh you know it just makes things all worth it all the work all the money all the time away and you know everything that we miss to go racing and stuff like that it that's when it makes it worth it when the when they're proud of what we've accomplished yeah no, that's that's cool stuff. Well, um, you mentioned that you got a new car at last year. So, talk to us about this uh, this new ride to you. So it's a 2012, 2013 Bickle uh, Camaro. Um, the original owner was Glenn Wright. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a 110 inch Pro Mod style car. Uh, it has an 830-inch uh, naturally aspirated Hemi uh, Sunny's engine in it, which Elite takes care of. It has a M&M three-speed. Um, it's uh, it's been a handful, but we finally got a handle on it, and it's it's definitely doing its job now. And if I can just keep up with it and make it look good, because <laughs> it, it does save me a lot. Yeah. Well, it's a good piece. I, I um, I've seen it before in person, but um, you know, uh, I didn't realize it was a, it was naturally aspirated. So, talk us through the thought process there in terms of you know uh, a lot of guys in top sportsmen obviously running nitrous, uh, plenty running pro chargers, etc. What was your thought process behind just going big cubic inch? Well, we like it because. This thing follows the the weather station really well. Um, the it's it seems like a lot of maintenance because we do a lot of checks between rounds by you know checking the valves, checking the springs, uh, every run. But in the long run, I think the uh, a very good way to go. I think the nitrous cars are are very consistent too. But this car here has been extremely good this year and um it's it's been been a good combination the other car that i bought from royce was also naturally aspirated so we're used to that we're not used to dealing with nitrous bottles or pro chargers or anything like that even though my traveling partner he runs a pro charger on his top dragster we uh we help with that you know we help each other so a uh, little familiar with it, but uh, just just think that uh, fixed everything and and got this car 
good. It's been uh, it's been a really good combination. Oh, you know what? We just lost JP. So um, I'll, he had a question for you, but uh, we just lost JP. So we'll um, we'll just keep it rolling here. So you, so natural aspirin is probably what you've done mostly in your career as well. So that that keeps everything uh, steady that way. Um, so it's probably easy transition. Other than just, I mean, have you ever ran anything that was eight hundred cubic inches before? I mean, what's the difference from a from a feel standpoint? Um, you know, walk our listeners I, through difference between running a, even a six hundred cubic inch to an eight hundred cubic inch. Well, I've not done anything like this before until about three years ago, and both of the cars have been uh, EFI, which that's new to me also. Okay, but uh, the guys at Elite they've really helped a lot. Um, we did send the car down to Modern and let Justin Elks and them rewire it and run it on the dyno and you know get us a good baseline and then the the guys here have helped after that and you know they just they take an interest in the car and they they've helped me learn a little bit about it and um. It, it kind of goes back to my roots of bracket racing before with a single carburetor. I mean, it's it, it's actually become fairly easy. It's still a lot of work, but it's it's it seems pretty easy to deal with. So you, in general terms, like the fuel injection over the carburetors? Then I mean, you, this is you, when you went this. You, I'm assuming you went to the fuel injection at the same time, and and you you like that. I mean, I I've seen guys go back and forth with it. Oh, I really like it. It's 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 proven to be uh, when it's working, it's working great. Probably when it, I haven't had one that's not yeah. working great. So when it's you know, so all I can tell you is when it's working good, it works really good. <laughs> right. And I imagine when it's not working good, it's a handful <laughs> of, to try to get back together. All right. Is that a that's a what do you use a Holly or what what system are you using, Mike? We have the Holly, okay. Uh, with with the, uh, it's got the Accufab uh, throttle bodies on it. And so, um, it's, it's, go ahead, Mike. You were you were going to say something? And I it, rudely cut you off. It's 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 the same setup that Sonny sends those engines out with. The only thing that Justin and them did for me while we had it there was we got a we took the big stuff off and we put the holly system on it and then uh, we uh went coal on plug instead of the conventional distributor like they come with so and all that stuff has worked flawlessly since we did it so you've got you've got one more race right you're sitting number 2 in the NHRA national points uh standings there um, help us out with the math. Uh, can you catch um, the points leader if you if you have a good weekend, or how do, how does that work? Um, do our job for us here for a second and um, tell us if if you can you know ultimately catch uh, Brandon Miller or not. Um, I think if I would have uh, finished a little better yesterday, then I would answer that question. Yes, we had a shot at it. I think. After a third round exit yesterday, um, I think mathematically I'm 
I'm out of it. Um, I think Brandon probably has it wrapped up. I know there's uh, one guy behind me that Brian wore, and he still has three races out on the uh, uh, West Coast. So he he probably has a shot at it too. But uh, we, I, I I see Brandon being the guy at the end of the year, and would like to congratulate him. I think he's done a good job. Yeah, that and that brings up then this, you know, the 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 kind of the rub when you get D6 um, involved, D7 involved, where they have 48 car fields and they can actually, you know, they can actually gain 105 points at their events. Whereas, you know, you're, you're looking at 95 at all the events that you run. And so it brings this kind of interesting thing where, you know, the guys on the West coast, always the argument, whether it's better or worse to have a 48 car field. So, um, you know, we thank, we thank him for, for doing that. So we have something to argue about on the show. Well, Brandon is the East coast guy, but Brian war is the West coast guy. Right. And he has one hundred and five point win at the Vegas divisional, which, you know, that's, um, for whatever reason, they have 105 point races out that way. Um, I, I, personally think that the class should be set at either 95 point races or 32 car fields, whichever one they want to do. If they want to have more, I don't think that races should allow more points. Um, whatever they have to do to adjust that, that would definitely be up to the guys at NHRA, but, uh, it's really unfair to everybody else in the country when, that end of the world gets a 105 point race and we only get 95. So, um, I think the reason they do it is because they have less tracks out that way, which is not necessarily the people from, you know, the central to East coast is fault that they don't have enough tracks out there, but I believe that's why they do it. Yeah, no, that I I think you're right. I mean, we've we've um, we've had guys on from all across uh, the country, you know, and I'm always kind of amazed at those guys out there. Um, you know, uh, Motrio is kind of the guy that really sticks in my head, but you know, I mean, for him to do a 20 hour haul is like kind of second nature to him, right? To go racing or whatnot, right. and. Um, you know, it, so it's a different deal than than even you know you being in Arkansas, me being in Indy. You know, JP having tracks fairly close. I mean, we if we go five hours in one direction, we passed a couple tracks, and uh, you know those guys have a little different deal. So I kind of get it, but but I've uh, I think we've argued on the show successfully that you know, if you're going to have a national event points. Uh, the rules need to be standardized across the nation. So I, you know, we'll see. We'll see. Well, I guess I how it shakes out. I think nationally they can only get ninety-five points, but I think divisionally is where where they get ahead of us. Mm, okay. So it's it's only on the division side, from what I understand, uh, gotcha. that they have the forty-eight and sixty-four car fields and things like that. But yeah, you know that's. That's for the people that want to argue the rules and, and get <laughs> right. involved. Uh, I'm not necessarily that guy, but uh, I don't I don't agree with it. But 
I'm not going to raise the stink about it and and cause everybody an uproar. But yeah, uh, I think there's there's a couple of things that could be done to help the class, and that's uh, that's one of them, I think. Sure. Well, speaking of divisionals, we should congratulate you because uh, it's my understanding that you won Division Four top sportsman, right? I mean, there were done claiming points there, and you can uh, rightfully claim looks, the division championship. Looks looks like I've clinched that. Um, well, according to Bob Galetti, he came over to me at St. Louis and told me I had clinched it, so I haven't actually put the numbers to it, but. Uh, he, he said I had clinched it, so I'm just taking his word for it. But, but yes, uh, looks like I've clinched Division Four. As my traveling partner, too, Dane Ward, looks like he's clinched uh, top dragster. That's that's really impressive. Yep. So, Mike, how so, do you, in the, in the offseason, when you're looking at where you're going to race at, how do you – how do you make the determination that do you look at it as far as from a point standpoint of what's going to give you the best shot to win a championship or how how does that, how does it work out? Well, this past season, uh, we sat down and, and laid out, uh, uh, our thoughts on where we were going racing and we haven't, uh, deviated from it at all. Um, we started out with the Dallas double, uh, then we went to the Topeka double and then we went to Tulsa double and then the St. Louis double. And that, that concluded all of our divisionals, but we only had to travel four times to go run eight races. Then on the national event side, every year we try to pick a track that we haven't been to, which Norwalk was the track this year. And I was in the finals of, of the national event at Norwalk. Uh, with Scott Wasco, and uh, he won that race. And uh, then we do Indy, uh, Topeka, and uh, St. Louis, and then I'm going to Vegas. And that's that's been our plan from back in January. So mm-hmm. we that that's we didn't really strategically plan it as far as any kind of points structure. It's just, uh, the way that we felt like we could, uh, be away from home and work and everything else to, to make it happen. But that's, uh, that was our schedule for the year. And then, uh, my partner, Dane, he's going to Dallas this weekend cause they're not running top dragster in Vegas. Hmm. Okay. Which is another thing that I think that was another thing that I think they would help if they would uh, do away with the splitting of top dragster and top sportsman. You know, that would be a a blessing to all the guys that either have a traveling partner or own one of each cars, such as Jim Thorpe. I mean, he's mm-hmm. he travels with a top dragster and a top sportsman car, and there's several people that do that. So, um it kind of cuts down on cars whenever they don't run both just because those guys don't see it worth it to travel if they can't run both cars. Right. And I would say that it's, it's probably safe for me to say that you're a big fan of the double divisionals. I am. So one thing that 
I don't know if anybody's actually looked at it, but the four doubles that I went to this year, the double at Dallas, Jimmy Lewis won both days. Mm-hmm. The double at Topeka, J.R. Lobner won both days. And then the Tulsa double, I won both days. And we did have two separate winners at the St. Louis one. But I thought that was kind of unique that uh, the same guy won the, the double at three different of the went to. Right. Yeah, that's interesting, right? Because I mean, that kind of goes to show, like, you can get on a roll. And the, the car knows, like, it, it's confident. The driver's confident. And, man, you can you can keep it rolling that way. Now, it can also be the other way. You can kind of ruin your season if you have a – Parts breakage you can't fix early in the week, right? That can that can be problematic too. But um, right, but but it, you like it, and I think you can make the argument both ways. But I, I I think it's good for travel, that's for sure. It is. I mean, it's good for travel. If you do have problems at the first race, then you know it might be worth it to pull out of the second race, or at least not claim it. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, and and this continue on but um we've we've locked the doubles from from the day first day we raced i mean i won the second day of the double the first race <laughs> i went to so you know it's it's been one of those deals that it's good and but I, I think if you get off on the wrong foot you're you know you could be screwed for the whole weekend yeah yeah no doubt so uh you've got vegas to finish up the year and then I mean, if you, let's assume you finish number two, uh, which I mean, you're you're solidly in that position now. Uh, what do you do? You you change much, or you just regroup and try to try to improve on that and get the number one spot for next year? We will uh, tear the car down, have freshen everything, uh, and then we will uh, we'll start out at Bradenton, Florida, with the pro group and run top sportsman out there in February. And then, uh, we'll, we'll have our schedule figured out by then. And we'll just go to the races, try to win as much as we can and see where the chips fall. There you go. I don't having a strategy. I don't know if there really is a good strategy as far (laughs) as, you know, picking and choosing, unless you want to travel out West and try to get some of them 105 point races. But, uh, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah there you go no that's a that's good stuff well um mike appreciate appreciate you coming on um you've had a heck of a season even if uh you know not quite the number one man number two or and or number three uh would be a phenomenal season uh, kind of a career for a lot of people so congrats on the on that thank you for your time tonight and and uh you know, have a great weekend in Vegas and uh, Monday as well. That's a, that's good stuff to watch your daughter get married off. So congrats on that side as well. Thank you very much. And thank y'all for having me on here. Oh yeah. Thank you guys, girls, guys, girls. That was the great Mike Moorhead, um, your number two points earner in NHRA top sportsman. If you need him. Today's half-track report is brought to you by DragRaceLawyer.com for all your high-horsepower legal needs. 
get with dragracelawyer.com. JP, we've been threatening. We have been threatening for several episodes now to get everyone cut up on the point standings. And it's time to do that because we are down to it. Um, ultimately, we've got the final races on the calendar coming up. And our points races are mostly decided. We've got it down to a handful of guys and girls that can take the lead and or retain the lead. And um, so we've got everybody. The only thing I would say is the Midwest Drag Racing Series does have one event left. And as of recording, we do not have the updated point standing. So we'll talk about that next time. That said, let's get to the NHRA. Top sportsman and top dragster points leaders. This is pretty interesting stuff. Yeah, it looks like a lot of stuff is coming down to the wire. Um, where are we at? We're in top dragster right here. Uh, looks like uh, Clint Geis is, is uh, holding on to the lead uh, over Vince Mussolino. Uh, Vince does have a shot at at overcoming Clint and winning the championship. Um, may take a little traveling on Vince Mussolino's part. He's an East Coast guy. so. But, yeah, he does he does have a... A legit shot at at winning this national championship if he chooses to go that route. Yeah, I think this um, is interesting, right? Because Clint is on the West Coast. Clint is from Renton, Washington. He's in first place. He's got 597 points. I mean, the thought being that if you can get 600 points, that almost guarantees you a national championship. Vince Mussolino, though, uh, coming from the East Coast, he's from Bridgeport, New York. So opposite coast there, Vince has 557 points. So he's behind 40 points. The interesting thing is Vince still has two races to claim, one on the national event side or an, and one on the divisional, or I should say he can still race those. He, he's claimed what he claimed, but he's got some races still to pocket. Uh, Vin, Clint has to improve upon some of his events, but Vince... Still has a couple in his pocket. So that that could get interesting. If Vince is willing to travel and likely meaning go to Rock uh, Rockingham in North Carolina and then make the trip west of Vegas where he could do a national event and a divisional back-to-back, we would expect Vince to be in the driver's seat. Now, we should also say that Blake Peevler, former national champion, is one point behind Vince. Um, and he could do the same travel, so that that could get interesting. Uh, Blake knows what it's like to win a national championship, could do that, but he's got to improve as well. Vince seems like the guy, while he's behind, that actually is in the the best spot. Uh, it's kind of, kind of interesting that way. Now, uh, let's not leave out Dylan Hoff and uh, Jeff Strickland, 554 and 545 points. Those guys are uh, right there as well, but, but uh, Vince actually looks like he's in the driver's seat yeah it, it it looks that way uh it looks like he could he could get it done if he if he chooses to pursue it yeah keep in mind the nhra gives you a, a max 95 points on the national event level to win and then you can improve upon some you you can uh, claim five divisionals three national events uh so there's a, some improving upon uh, if you have a bad outing you can go to several more and then improve upon those so uh 
Clint has claimed those. He has a good standing, but could improve. Uh, Vince hasn't claimed yet, so that that's the reason why. Like you look, you look like he could make a jump. So that's really interesting on the top dragster side. And the question to you, JP, is if you're living in New York and you have a chance to win the top dragster Nash Championship, do you pack stuff up? Do you uh, go to Costco, load the RV with, uh, you know, with clothing and toilet paper and food and all the things that you got to have for the next three weeks and make the trip and go get it? Well, it's starting to get cold out here on the East Coast, Rex, and <laughs> New York is a whole lot colder than Virginia. So me, if I have the means to do it and I'm in that position, I'm heading west with some sun and fun and some racing. Oh, right, right. Hey, boss. Um, I... <laughs> I need it. I need a couple weeks <laughs> off here, <laughs> right? Or I quit. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, Vince is a good racer. He's been doing it a while, but uh, the chance to win a national championship doesn't come around every day. It just simply no. does not come around every day. So we will uh, keep our eyes on that. We'll keep you posted, but could be interesting come Vegas. And there's a couple different ways you could do it, but uh, that looks to be the clear path on the top dragster side now on the top sportsman side it's a little bit different um man we you heard from mike moorhead he has 563 points he's solidly in second place uh but brandon miller way yeah, in front i think he has this locked up um i think he pretty much has this locked up. so i guess there's mathematically some other people that could win, but it looks like Brandon's going to be a national champion and top sportsman in NHRA this year. Yeah, Brandon Miller from Connecticut has 623 points. Uh, Brian War uh, on the West Coast could uh, from Utah, so that's a pretty quick trip to Vegas, could improve upon some things. He has 523. He would actually have to improve upon a whole divisional, so, uh, you know, it's it's a really long shot for Brian to get ahead of Brandon Miller. Has a chance to um, gain a little ground and um, overtake Mike Moorhead, but really it looks like Brandon Miller on the top sportsman side will be your NHRA top sportsman national champion. Going now to the PDRA and all that that um, entails on the elite top sportsman side. This this could be interesting. So, uh JP, I'll let you take it from here. All right. Yeah, I think this is going to come down to the wire at Virginia. Um, you got Donnie Urban in the lead right now um, with, let's see, 2,666 points, uh, followed by Chris Nitrous Nyergis, who has 2,360 points, uh, Brian Laflamme, 2,168. So there's potentially all three of those guys could win this depending on how it shakes out. Um, and I think it's going to probably come down to where people qualify and, you know, how many rounds everybody goes. Donnie Urban usually qualifies pretty close to up front. Uh, I think Brian LaFlam has, has went number one, one at least once this year though, hasn't he? He has, uh, but yeah. the way the qual they give you extra qualifying points in the PDRA, meaning you get 16 points for going number one you get one point for qualifying number 16 ultimately what has to happen is 
Chris Nitrous Nigers has to somehow qualify seven places higher than Donnie Urban, which is not likely just because Donnie typically qualifies in the top half of the field. So that's yeah. not likely. And then Donnie would have to bow out in the first round and Chris would have to win the win the event in order to kind of move forward. So well, it's a it's a long shot, but mathematically it's a it's you know it's there for the taking. So it, and it could happen. and Chris is racing well. I mean, he just won the event uh, at Galat. So and I guess I just it sounds like he won the the final uh, without any oil pressure in the final. Like he did a burnout, lost oil pressure, still ran it, won the event without any oil pressure in the final. So probably not the yeah. ideal way to do it. But, man, how about that? Would that be fortuitous and quite a story to tell if you ultimately won the series championship and, you know, ran a final without any oil pressure? Uh, they are definitely not as afraid to send it. Um <laughs> And Chris can flat out get it done, so like it, it, it wouldn't be any surprise to anybody if he won. Um, There's no doubt. Yeah. If they could get it whipped up enough to out qualify Donnie, that'd be interesting to see. I mean, I know they got power, but I, I think they run the car a little different. But it'll definitely be interesting to see in Virginia. Yeah, and Hollywood's not gonna Hollywood's not gonna lie down, right? He's gonna qualify oh, no, high, and he's gonna all. he's. He's going to try to get that first or second and round win and solve Definitely yeah. capable of winning, too. So you got two guys that will go for it, and, yeah, it, it, it's going to be a dogfight. For sure. Um, on the regular top sportsman side, then, um, in first place, Chad Trailer, um, 2,678 points. Uh, and then Joe Rubicek and Nick Maloney. Um, and Al Davinovsky still have a mathematical chance, right? Yeah, definitely still have a mathematical chance. Uh, Ch- Chad is in a good position, but um, these guys could could come around him, and um, there's nobody behind Chad that can't win and that hasn't won this year. So, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, that's gonna be tough. It's gonna be some nerves. It's gonna be some nerves on edge at uh at Virginia. It's going to be interesting to see. Right, yeah. So Chad Trailer uh, in the lead, um, up a couple hundred points on Joe Rubicek, um, a little bit more, another 21 points to Nick Maloney, then Al Davidovsky on, you know, with a mathematical chance. So all four guys, that's very cool, have a chance in uh, to win on going down the last, last race of the year. I guess technically if Chad had catastrophic event, that would put Mark, pain in play as well but a lot of things have to go right for mark Payne to have a chance as well yeah definitely but chad coming off of a big win so that's uh that's always good so maybe he'll carry the momentum onto the championship right a little a little momo always helps um and we should say that too i mean going back to um talking about going back all the way to top dragster in Dan HRA, Vince Mussolino, who, uh, sorry, we're jumping around here a little bit, but, you know, has these points to claim. He just won his last event, too. So, I mean, you're talking about some guys that have some momentum going down the stretch. That's why, you know, you got to feel good if you're those guys. Um, on the elite top dragster side, then. Uh, Steve Furr um, in the lead. 
Uh, he was great on the show too. When he remember he came on a couple yeah. episodes, he was great. And uh, yes, yeah, he's he he's he's way out there. Yeah, he's. Uh, I think he's pretty much got this one. Um, but yeah, I think he's got it. So. Um, well, he's three I'm, essentially three hundred and fifty points up on Pete Maduri, and you know four hundred points or four hundred twenty points over Larry Roberts in third place. Right. So so technically Pete has a chance. Technically Larry Roberts has a chance, but Steve Furr, a guy who's got it done before, a guy who's been doing this a long time, a guy who is pretty meticulous in his prep, you know, if he qualifies halfway decent and wins one round, that that pretty much locks everybody out. So it's Steve Furr's to lose on the elite top dragster side. Yeah. And he's no stranger to winning, so I don't see him not qualifying or not winning the first round. But right, yeah, um, yeah. But that it's always exciting, always exciting from that standpoint. And then, uh, last but not least, the Larice Motorsports Insurance Top Dragster standings. And uh, man, uh, <laughs> standard operating with TG Pascal up front. Yeah, right? yeah, man, that dude is just. <laughs> He's just been having a stellar year. Uh, he's got a pretty decent lead over Tisha Wilson and Dickie Smith. Um, I guess they have a shot, but it looks like the TG's going to wrap this thing up at Virginia. Um, yeah, Tisha would need to win it. TG would have to, um, you know, not qualify or have some issue or you know bow out first round. And even then, I'm not sure bowing out first round would give uh, Tisha enough enough room. But, uh, you know, Tisha won it before. She's no stranger. If anybody can, she can get it done. She's an excellent racer. And, man, if you have not listened to her episode, go back, do yourself a favor, and listen to her interview. She was fantastic. Uh, yeah, but, great uh, but uh, yeah, T.G. Pascal uh, looks like he's going to add another championship to his, uh, you know, really stellar last couple of years. On a on another note, um, we have two guys, uh, Chad Trailer and Nick Maloney, that could potentially finish in the top five in each class and top drags and top sportsmen. So that would be that would be neat, depending on how they do at Virginia. Those guys, and I, I've said this before. I I think um, they are squeezing the most fun out of drag racing all possible. They're running top dragster and then top sportsman. So not on the elite side, though. You know those. Things are different animals. They took take, um, you know, more resources, more effort, all that stuff. But from a purely getting behind the wheel driving standpoint, Chad Trailer, Nick Maloney, and TG Pascal does it as well. Going both sides of that thing, top sportsman, top dragster. Uh, they're kind of living my dream. JP is what they're doing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It'd be great to be able to be great to be able to do that. Um, so that's, that's how it's going to shake down. Very, very exciting stuff. Uh, NHRA, PDRA, and, um, you know, so so watch that. Keep that in mind as we're going down the stretch. Whoa, let's get out of the groove here for a second. And this is a little bit farther out of the groove. This is almost to the wall, JP. I'm going to be honest with you. We are almost to the wall in the pebbles here, but we're going to bring it back in a little bit. But 
here's what I saw this week. Um, and I, I want your thoughts on this. Here's what I saw this week. So this week, the International Olympic Committee is going to vote on the sports that they have in the Olympics in 2028. They'll be held in Los Angeles. So we're five years away, but they're voting on those sports that are going to be held in Los Angeles. Um, certainly, you know, all the stuff you would expect in the Summer Olympics, um, you know, not held every four years anymore. It's every other year, but they split up the winter and some, all the stuff. So all the chaos that goes on across the globe, specifically right now, we're seeing the Middle East and, and Russia and all this stuff. The whole country, or, the, or say should say the whole world says, okay, let's pause the chaos and let's play some games to figure, you know, to have a little uh, peace and harmony, which is a pretty cool thing. And what I've always appreciated about sports in that it unifies everybody. Um, you know, so that is really cool. That said, JP, the Olympic Committee is voting on whether flag football should be an Olympic sport in 2028. Um, I don't know about you, but this starts my motor running a little bit. So I dug in, I read the article. They're going to vote on flag football. So one of the things they're going to do for sure is have cricket as a sport. Do you know anything about cricket, JP? No. Um, I like to refer is that to... The, <laughs> it's like the hammer-looking deal, and then they got like a little... Like a, yeah, a little... It's, it's it's Horse, what, you hit it through or something? Yeah, it's like what comp is for uh our you know for drag racing, uh but but cricket is the baseball and comp is to you know all our other classes. I mean it's convoluted, it's confusing, it looks kinda like baseball, but not really. And um and it's only it's we don't play cricket here in the United States, right? So for us to play any American team to play cricket is just a little bizarre. So but it's also it's also bizarre for countries like China, India, Brazil, etc., to play flag football. It doesn't make sense. These are these are not sports that are universally played worldwide. Let me say this, and this is where I get fired up. Of the sports that they voted on and they did not approve, guess what? Motorsports. They they voted out breakdancing because uh, breakdancing at one time was an Olympic sport, if you can believe that. But at no time has motorsports been an Olympic sport. And I would say this to anybody and specifically to the Olympic Committee, no sport is the greatest equalizer and known and loved worldwide like motorsports are. The, the, these are universal rules. People in India race cars, people in China race cars, people in the Philippines race cars, people in Philadelphia race cars. This is a worldwide thing. Not flag football, not cricket, certainly not breakdancing motorsports. And we got jobbed again, JP, and I am fit to be tied. Yeah, I, I'm not a fan of flag football as a kind of in my youth, I played real football and was actually halfway decent at it. And yeah, so I never, even, even like when we played at recess and it was supposed to be 
two-hand touch. We squash. Squash is going to be played. <laughs> squash is going to be played. Uh, I don't lacrosse, want. Yeah, we could. Lacrosse. We could have got some kind of motorsport, like a, even if it was like go karts or something. We could have got something. I mean, let's be honest. Um, let's be honest. I mean, even soccer. Like, come on. Nobody. No real athlete is playing soccer. Right. I mean, like if you're going to be an athlete in the United States, you're not going to really play soccer. You're going to play basketball, baseball, football, et cetera. But they they don't mind. They vote in that garbage. They vote in flag football. They vote in cricket, but um, are not going to be voting in motorsport. They've specifically said no to motorsports. They cut motorsports, kickboxing and karate. That makes no sense. And. I am crying international conspiracy once again. This is ridiculous. Well, the, if they put motorsports in it, they you, you know the gold is going. Virginia? Somebody <laughs> in Virginia? Is that what you're going to try to tell me? Somebody in Virginia is going to get the win? Virginia, probably. <laughs> but, but, I mean, it'll, it'll definitely be somebody from the United States. What? <laughs> If they but, were to vote in, you know, what class do, would you think would, would, would they would they vote? What, well, what form of race and in what class would you think? But I think that's my point, though, is would it be someone for the United States? Because F1 can make an argument that they are, um, you know, that they, they are the motorsports champion of the world. They would they would say they're the most sophisticated. Uh, not my style, but that's what they would say. I yeah, would, but. My as gift. impressive as F1 is, I don't know that you're going to have the budget to do that type of race in the Olympics. Yeah, you I think... keep the thing kind of... Uh, surprising. You're going to be shocked, but I did think about this a little bit. And what I think they would have to do is do something along the lines of what the Japanese boat series does, which is this. They do kind of the spec racing where they give you, and this is kind of interesting, uh... They give the drivers a random uh, boat, like a. It's it's not a full size one. It's like maybe ten foot long or something like that. And they, when you show up, they randomly give you a boat, and they also randomly give you a motor, and the driver has to attach the motor to the boat, and then he drives this thing. So it would have to be kind of some type of weird spec series, I think. Um, but but I think that's absolutely more doable and more universal than any other specific sport that the Olympics are going to throw out there, outside of maybe sprinting. And guess what that is? That is just drag racing on foot. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. All right, as we hit the mile per hour cone... J.P. Miller, there was a Northeast Outlaw Pro Mod Association event this past weekend at uh, Maryland International Raceway. And, um, you know, they they do, they have a heck of a show, too, alongside all the other Pro Mod series that went on. Actually, there were three Pro Mod series that went on last weekend, right? Northeast Pro Mod, PDRA, and Midwest Drag Racing Series. So big weekend for Pro Mods. But Todd Moyer goes 3.588 at 227 and 8 miles an hour, 0.08 miles an hour. I mean, absolutely blistering. I believe that is a new record ET-wise for that series. I've not gotten complete confirmation, but I believe that is right. So that's a heck of an event and they, you know, they put up $31,000 to win that event. So what a great event, but really JP 
Congrats to Todd Moyer for going 358. I mean, pretty amazing. That said, though, the show was all about JNR Promotions' top sportsman event that you put on. I mean, you had, you were there. That was the show. I mean, I'm glad that the Pro Mods had a chance to show up. But really, the show was top sportsman. Was it or was it not? Uh, yeah, Rex, we had, we had a... We had a great event, man. We we were fortunate enough to be alongside of Northeast Outlaw Pro Mods and uh, the 30, 37th annual running of the Supercharger Showdown race at uh, at Maryland International Raceway. Um, had a great turnout. Um, twenty cars showed up trying to get the sixteen spots. Um, at the end of qualifying, um, friend of the podcast Ronnie Proctor led the way with a four fourteen two at one hundred and seventy eighty six. Um. Bump spot ended up being 481, and uh, it was kind of ironic because Ronnie, you know, we, we put a little bounty on the number one qualifier. So, uh, my buddy Mike Pender he took out Ronnie in round one and picked up the $300 bounty, um, that was put up by BLP Racing Products. They also put up the $500 for the number one qualifier. So, shout out to BLP Racing Products for helping us out there. Um, but at the end of eliminations. It was Dave Mueller from Pennington, New Jersey. Uh, he took the win over Gary Pitts and picked up the $3,000. Um, and Dave was just on all day. I mean, he was, when he needed to hit the tree, he hit the tree. When he needed the car to go dead on, it went dead on. I mean, he was just on his game. He's a really tough racer. I, it's the first time I met Dave, but uh, a lot of people up there knew him and said he's he's always tough. But we had a great Great feel, man. I I just wanted to say thank you to everybody who came out. Um, a lot of quality cars, a lot of guys who had never came out and ran with me before, so they kind of got a chance to kind of see what it was all about. Um, was glad to get this one done because we were we were we were over two earlier this season with the weather. Um, we had a little bit of a weather delay, but we were able to get this one done. Um, had a great time and we're looking forward to next year. We will be back at supercharger showdown and we will be at door wars in the spring and we'll probably be doing some more things, uh, got some things in the works. So stay tuned and we will let you know everything that you need to know about JNR promotions. Yeah, that's, that's really good stuff. Nicely done over there. Um, I know there was a heck of a weekend. Let me ask you this. Uh, and we know how good Ronnie Proctor is. Um, so he gets taken out first round. That's really impressive. Where was Pinder qualified uh, in your ladder? Number 16. Really? Mike was number 16. Yep. Okay. So that's that's interesting. So he wins from the, the 16 spot there. Um, pretty impressive. Yeah, because um, our guy Todd Ferguson um, is really um, – he, he's done a lot of math. He's done a lot of research and. He's convinced, and I, I tend to believe him at this point, that the place to qualify is five through ninth. And if you can qualify fifth through ninth in top sportsman, or speci specifically on the elite top sportsman side, that's where you come from in order to to win the most. But um, so I just had to ask that. I wasn't uh, quite sure. Funny that you say that, because guess where Dave Mueller qualified. <laughs> number five right right yeah i think todd's on to something truthfully uh he you know he's he's done the research and that's that's pretty fascinating and, from that uh, standpoint gary pitts qualifies seventh so the number five and number seven guy were in the in the final so 
yeah. guess you could. Yeah, it might be. It might be something that I'm about to go back and look through some of my other qualifying sheets and see. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> kind of. Yeah. You want to be faster, uh, so you're chasing mostly, but um, you know the number one qualifying spot. Then you've got a little bit of traction issues and you know potential things like that. So, kind of interesting conversation, I think. But um, congrats to you. I know you worked very, very hard on uh, putting that event together and and just having a quality event for all those guys who showed up. And and I know uh, from looking at that ladder, the the cars that showed up were really quality and uh man you had a nice nice field there i mean that anytime yeah, you're we talking some, 420s cars and that's good yeah we had some uh we had some we had some really good cars man really really known top sportsman guys uh unfortunately uh the teats glenn teats third he had an issue in qualifying and didn't and didn't get down so he didn't get in which is very very rare for them but i, I mm-hmm. think they had some kind of mechanic the car shut off on the line in q2 i think he knocked the tires off in q1 and then the car shut off on the line in q2 um and that, that was unfortunate for them because they're they're usually always right in the thick of things and he definitely would have been in the hunt for number one um but yeah we still had a, a very good field man very very good field uh a lot of a lot of great racers um really competitive racers these guys were putting together nice packages throughout you know the whole race so it wasn't there definitely no ducks in that deal and uh i appreciate everybody who came out and ran with me um and hope to see all these guys next year come out and run with us some and come see what we're about and if you haven't been to a jnr event come check us out um we're the real deal uh and we put on great events, in my opinion, and you will definitely have a good time and you'll definitely have fun. I like it, man. I like it. Yeah. Congrats to you. You had a heck of a weekend and uh, congrats to all those guys that showed up and uh, competed in, in that event. Cause uh, I remember, you know, you told me and it was, uh, it was good competition all weekend long. So congrats to all those guys. All right, let's bring this thing back in. Let's take a peek in the other lane. JP, let's do it. Let's take the stripe. Guys, girls, that is the show. It is time to pull the shoots on episode 125. And there it is. There's the wind light and the sweet, sweet sound of our girl, Laura Pranigan. So good, JP. It is so, so good. Gloria gets them every time. Man, every time. That's good. Yeah, um, man, we had another great week. We really, truly did have another great week. We talked uh, motorcycle conspiracy theories. We had an unbelievable guest on, and Mike Moorhead. Mike was fantastic. Um, we talked Olympic sports. We recapped your great event. I mean, pretty impressive week. Yeah, it was a great week. It was a great week. I, 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 I guess I should say, I think that Matt Smith Racing did get their motorcycle back or going to get their motorcycle back. Um, yeah, no, good point. Um, yeah, so it sounds so, like that, right? Sounds good luck like to those that. guys for the rest of the... What I think yeah. is maybe we could get our guy with the emotional support alligator to go hang out with Angie Smith a little bit, help her. That sound good? like a good idea? I don't know if that's a good idea because 
Right now, I don't know that Angie could get away from the alligator if he decides to remember that he's an alligator. We don't want anything else happening to Angie. <laughs> that is so true. He has a so recovery. That was so true. Matt might want to take the emotional support alligator to hang out with NHRA. Yeah, there's some truth <laughs> to that, too. Uh, yeah. Guys, girls, hey, leave us a review on iTunes, SoundCloud, wherever you listen to podcasts, and uh, send us a note on Facebook telling us what you think of all this stuff. It helps. I don't know why. I don't really care what you said, but it does help, so thank you. Guys, girls, I hope you enjoyed it. Keep the rubber side down. And travel safe. Hey, I've been thinking lately. I think I might need one of these uh, emotional support alligators. I remember us going down to Orlando, and we found that little place. And I remember you holding your emotional support alligator. That was a good time. Absolutely. Um, I'm not encouraging everyone to have an emotional support alligator, but I am pro alligators in general. I mean, let's be honest. They are absolute dinosaurs i mean they're they're dinosaurs that will eat us for an afternoon snack if we're not you know and certainly there are those uh episodes out there but but i'm pro alligator i really am and and we had a great time in orlando uh played a little putt putt and then you know the little baby alligators were running all around have no idea what would happen in a hurricane Uh, i'm sure plenty of people have woken up to alligators at their back door I'm not sure if that is helpful or not from an emotional standpoint, but in this case, um, if we all had a Wally alligator, a little Wally gator hanging around that was uh, a little helpful, we'd probably all be better off. Today's episode of the Fast Brackets podcast is brought to you by Winlight Bets. Winlight Bets is the fastest gaming action on earth using the fastest motorsport on earth. Go to the Winlight Bets Facebook page, like and follow to be up to date on all the latest information around gaming and your favorite sport, drag racing.